The following audio is from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com. This morning I want to share with you a little bit more about Christmas. John asked me to kind of continue in that vein. And uh, the title of the message today is More Wisdom. As I thought about this message, I, uh, I got pretty excited, I got to tell you, and so um you're going to have to kind of fasten your seatbelts with me today. And I might get a little passionate and a little out of control, so you may have to say amen a few times if you want to, but you may have to say settle down, you know. But um, this particular passage really stirred my heart again, and um, it's all about the magi. It's all about the wise men. And we're going to see this morning why these guys were wise guys. And so turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Uh, it's the story, obviously, of the wise men coming to visit the baby Jesus. And by the way, not at the manger. Uh, this t- as event really took place anywhere from 40 days to two years later, up to two years later when the wise men actually came to visit Christ. So let's read. It said, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. It's fascinating to me to see that these religious leaders knew exactly where the Messiah was going to be born, and they blew it. They missed it. They totally biffed the whole deal, even though they had all the right information. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. That's his conspiracy, as most of you know. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with the gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Well, who were these guys? Where were these wise men from and really who were they? Well, you know, we sing the song, We Three Kings of Orient at Art. They weren't from the Orient. They were from either probably Persia or Babylon. So these are basically Iranians or Iraqi guys who were monotheistic. They, they believed in one God, but they were spiritual men. They, they wanted some answers for their lives. And because they were called magi, these were actually wise men. They really weren't kings from the Orient. In fact, these guys maybe traveled with the whole entourage. So it wasn't just three guys and three camels. 
But these guys were pretty much advisors and recognized in their realm as being the smartest, most intellectual, scientific men on the face of the earth. So these were smart guys. These guys weren't stupid. These guys were really on a journey because they had heard from the prophet Micah that there was going to be a Christ child being born. He was going to be the new king of the Jews, quote, the Messiah. And they were so interested in that, they were so intrigued by that, they went on this journey to find Christ. They were into astronomy, as you know, because the word magi comes from that uh, background. And so they were astronomers, and it was really fascinating to me to see how God used a star to draw these men in and suck them into this journey. So they arrive at probably almost up to two years later to a home where Jesus was. He wasn't at the manger, as I said earlier. So they followed this star to this place where Jesus was at. But then there's Herod. He's the other player in this story. This guy was deeply disturbed by the news that there might be a new king in town. Now, you got to know that Herod was a very jealous, competitive, narcissistic human being. He killed his own mother, or his his own wife. He killed his mother-in-law. Now, some of you might say that might not be a bad idea. I don't know, anyway. But he, he killed his three sons. He was a murderer. This guy was half Jewish and half Gentile. And so he was anointed as, quote, the king of the Jews. So when he heard this new baby in town that was going to be a king king of the Jews, it was this competitive, jealous, narcissistic drive that was so stirring in his heart that he had to find out where this Christ child was so he could kill him. And because he couldn't find him, as you know, he declared that all babies under the age of two years old were to be killed. Can you imagine the incredible mourning that went on in Bethlehem at that particular time? So Herod was this this ruthless king who inquires, first of all, of the Sanhedrin. The spiritual leaders say, hey, guys, where's this new uh, Messiah, this this new king of the Jews supposed to be born? And so he confronts them, as we read about, and they said, well, we know from the prophet that he's going to be born in Bethlehem. So he decides that the best way to figure out where he's at is when these wise guys came in, he would ask them to when he search out where the Christ child is. And when you know where the Christ child is, you know, let me know because I want to go worship him. Not. So that was kind of this, this theme of what's going on. So let's go back to the wise men now and see why these guys were so wise. They saw this star, of course, and the star really intrigued them. And so they follow this star and go on this journey. And what I see about these guys, the reason why they were wise is because they were seekers. These guys were still seeking him. And we have that bumper sticker you've seen, wise men still seek him, right? What's fascinating to me is I I go on... Many trips in, the, in an airplane, as you know, I travel a lot. And, and when I share with people in the, in the community, we were just out with dinner with a couple not too long ago, and, and we were asking about their spiritual lives. And, and their comments are really new now. Instead of not being religious, people say, we're, we're spiritual people. Well, what does that really mean, spiritual people? Does that mean you're into yoga or meditation or Eastern religion? Are you a Christian? What, 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 what do you mean you're a spiritual person? Well, these wise men were spiritual guys. I mean, they really did want to learn more about this God that was being worshipped, this monotheistic God that they were believing in. And they were willing to go to great lengths to meet this child personally. 
And, and what I find fascinating here is these guys were not stupid. These guys were the smartest guys of their day. And sometimes we, we, we are sort of picked on as Christians to say, you've got to be stupid to believe the Bible. I mean, you can't believe the Bible. It's not, you know, it's just a storybook. You know, and yeah, maybe Jesus did live, but he was just, maybe he was a historical figure, but, you know, he was a good guy to maybe model your life at, but he certainly wasn't the son of God and blah, blah, blah. Well, these guys were on a journey to figure that out. And what's fascinating to me is I I was talking to a young man not too long ago, and I was asking him about his spiritual journey. And he said, yeah, I've been trying everything because I think all religions lead to the same God. And so I've been into this, and I've been into that, and I've been into this. And I said, you know, if you were really smart, if you were really intelligent, what I would tell you to do is that I would go figure out who Christ is. And when you figure out who Jesus is, and you go on that journey to really know who Christ is, because Christ disqualified all the other religions. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody gets to the Father except through me. Now, either he was a liar or a lunatic, or he was a historical figure who was literally the Son of God. And once you figure out who Jesus is, and you decide that he's not for you, then fine, go do all your other religious stuff. But start with Jesus. And what I love about these wise men is they started with Jesus. They wanted to figure out who he was and where he was born. They wanted to know all about him, and they wanted to go and worship him. These guys were smart guys. They weren't stupid. And there may be somebody here this morning that's on that journey. You know, you consider yourself a spiritual person, and you're kind of looking into a lot of different things right now in your spiritual life. I want to encourage you that if you're really smart, figure out who Jesus is. Seek after him, because the Scriptures tell us in Matthew, it says, Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, Keep on asking, and you will be given what you ask for. Keep on looking, and you'll find it. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds, and the door is open to everyone who knocks. You see, the deal is, you need to keep persevering and going after it, but go after Jesus first. And when you figure out who Jesus is, fine. Then check everything else out. These guys were legitimate seekers. These guys wanted to have the answers, and they weren't afraid to ask questions. These were smart guys. These were not stupid guys. These were the lowlifes like the shepherds, and I say that guardedly if you remember my message on the shepherds. These guys were, were sharp guys. These were Gentile guys. These were guys who were interested in spiritual things, and they came because they seek, and they found Christ. And my encouragement to you is keep seeking, friend. If, you're not, if you haven't found Christ yet, keep seeking because he's going to reveal himself to you. And someday you're going to bow down and worship him because it says in Scripture that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Amen? That's where it's at. So keep seeking. Are you on that journey this morning? That's why these guys are wise. They wanted to figure out who Jesus was. Here's the second reason why Jesus, these magi were wise, because when they found Christ in verses 9, it says, After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed on coming to the house. You notice that it's the house now. Coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and what did they do? They bowed down and they worshipped him. Now, I was intrigued by that word worship, and I looked it up, and basically all scholars agree that this worship was not simply paying homage to a human king. This was a bigger deal than that. For some reason, these guys were so taken in the presence of the Christ child that they bowed down and worshipped him as the Messiah, not as just a king. 
They recognized that he was royalty, that there was something special about this child. That's why they were smart. That's why they were wise. They worshipped him. They exercised complete reverence and humility, and they worshipped him as the Messiah. My question is, when we come into the presence of the Lord Jesus, do we worship him? Do we bow down and worship him? Sometimes I think we blow that, don't we? We take so much for the granted that this child, this Christ that we say we love and we adore and we serve, we forget that he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We don't get that in our culture. You can go overseas and find countries that have kings and have a whole history of kings. And when the king walks down the street, today, even today, people will bow to the queen in England. We don't have that. We have a president who we hardly even respect, it seems like, in our country. And yet this was a king, and we don't get that. When's the last time we came into church or we found ourselves prostrate on the floor before our Lord, saying, King of kings and Lord of lords, Lord, I'm your royal subject. We don't worship that way very often. We come and we sing and we praise God and we maybe lift our hands up. But do we realize we're in the presence of the king? royalty. We forget that. But they not only immediately bowed down, they brought gifts. I love this. They brought gifts. Now, there's a lot of speculation as to whether there was a symbolism with these gifts. But most scholars, again, who have studied this seem to agree that there was some, some metaphorical significance to each one of these gifts. And I want to take them to you this morning because I think if we can take these metaphorically and apply them into our own lives, we can also bring gifts to our Lord Jesus. And these same three gifts, and here's, they are, here's what they are. The first one is gold. It says they brought to them gold. Why? Because gold represents power and authority. They brought the gift of king to the king of kings, the Lord of glory. Do we come to Christ as a royal subject? Do we give him the gift of his great authority? Or we treat him like a little genie in the sky and we rub this lamp and hopefully that he does what we want him to do? Or is he our buddy? Or is he our friend? But we, we forget the fact that we are under the leadership and authority of the Almighty God when we represent Christ. So these guys really understood that and so they present him with gold, but then frankincense. Frankincense is pure incense and what it comes from, it's an incision that's made in the bark of a boswellia tree that grows on limestone rocks, and it's from southern Arabia or perhaps Somalia. And when they, when they would strike the tree, out would come this milky substance. And this milky substance was burned on the altar of incense in the Holy of Holies. So when the incense was sprinkled on the altar, there was this fragrant smoke rising heavenward, and it was sim symbolized really the prayers and thanksgiving and the sins of confession to, to the Lord in the Holy of Holies. So in essence, what they're saying to, to Christ when they bring this frankincense to Christ is saying, you are holy, and I'm coming into your presence with great humility and submission and surrender and, give, and thanksgiving. You see, that's a great gift we can give to Jesus, right? We can give to him our thanksgiving and our humility and our surrender. That's a gift that we give to him. That's an act of worship. That's a gift we can give to him. Did you give Jesus that act this, this Christmas? Do we give him that of our lives? 
Do we worship him? Do we bow down to him as king of kings and lord of lords? And do we give to him this, this matter of he's holy, holy, Lord God Almighty? And then thirdly, they gave him myrrh. Now, this was a perfume that was raped from what they call a balsamodendrum of Arabia. It was used as a perfume and mixed with wine as an anesthetic. It was to make life maybe less painful, less dreadful, and it was also used in burial. But these are all the things that Christ did for us while he was on earth, right? He made life for us less painful. He took the pain. He took our pain. He, he took all that was the sin in our lives onto his shoulders. He went to the cross for us. So in essence, what we're saying here is this is a gift of sacrifice. Scripture tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, to present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice, which is what? A reasonable service of what? Worship. So we need to not only present our sin, our thanksgiving, and our prayers, and treat him like a king, but we also need to bring that fragrant aroma of a living sacrifice, a day-to-day willingness to lay down your life, to be crucified with Christ, and to have him live through us. Maybe my question should be, what do you smell like this Christmas? What's emanating from your being? Is it that fragrant aroma? Is Christ pleased with what he smells? You see what I'm saying here? See, what we've got here is a gift exchange that's going on at Christmas. He gave himself to us, and we can give ourselves back to him. It's a gift exchange. Isn't that cool? In fact, Vance Havner wrote this. Uh, Some of you probably don't know who he is, but Vance Havner wrote this. He says, Christmas is based on an exchange of gifts, the gift of God to man, his unspeakable gift of his son, and the gift of man to God when we present our bodies a living sacrifice. Isn't that true? But there was a third thing here that I think was really great about these guys. What made these guys wise is that they obeyed God rather than man. You see, what Herod wanted them to do was to report back to him where the Christ child was so they could murder murder him. And these guys, in a dream of all things, heard that they needed to split town without checking in with the king. These guys were super wise guys because they listened to God rather than listening to this idiot king. You know what's fascinating to me is, well, Scripture tells us to be not conformed with this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. There is a subtle confirmation, when I mean conformation, if you will. We're, 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 we're really, I think, in the church today, we're, we're being more and more invaded by worldly thinking, non-biblical worldview thinking. And what's happening is we're, we're hearing all this stuff via the media, the, you know, the, the, the technical world that we live in, uh, you know, the, the, the educational system. You can go on and on and on. We're being bombarded every day with relativism. There's no absolute truth. And there, there's, there's so much. Anything goes now in our culture, in our society. And, you know, we've, we've, we've talked about We've almost become callous to, to, to the gay thing and to the abortion thing and all the things that are going on in our culture today that are so anti-biblical, and yet we have been sort of kind of 
like this frog in the kettle, you know. We've kind of been desensitized to a lot of what's going on, and we've become a little more apathetic and a little more passive. And so what's going on is just subtly we're listening to the world. We're not listening to a biblical worldview. We're not listening to what God has to say, and we've kind of been desensitized, and we've become numb to a lot of this stuff, and we start buying into it, and we start kind of accepting it, and we start letting it go. There's something wrong with this picture, The church needs to be salt and light in this world. And what I love about these guys is they didn't put up with the king's nonsense. They said, no way, we're going out of here. We're not going to tell the king where the Christ child is. We're done with this. And I guess my question to us again this morning is, where have we compromised? What have we done? How have we allowed this this worldview thinking to start messing with our minds and our behavior and our attitudes in life? So I get pretty cranked up when I look at these wise men and to see how incredibly relevant they are to today. I believe there are people in this world today who are still seeking. Do you believe that? There are people in your next door. I had a, just a discussion with my neighbor this morning. I think he's seeking. You know, we think that people aren't really seeking out there anymore. That's nonsense. People are seeking. Now, they're looking maybe in the wrong places, but they're still open and they're seeking. And we've got the answer, right or wrong? We've got the answer. It's Jesus Christ. We need to make sure. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you're a seeker sitting here this morning and you've been checking out a lot of different religions and other beliefs, go on a journey to seek for Christ. And when you figure that out, fine. When you've got it all figured out and you, don't, you reject Christ and, and the reality of who he is, that, that's up to you. That's between you and God. But I, if you're a seeker this morning, I encourage you, start there. And when you realize that he is who he said he was and that it's historically accurate and archaeology and history and all that stuff adds up, you're going to realize that it's an intellectual decision that you can make. It's not strictly based on faith. And I say that carefully because it's by faith and through his grace that we're saved through Christ. But secondly, I want to ask you this. When's the last time you treated him like a king? When's the last time you bowed down and worshipped him as king? I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that today. But thirdly, what do you plan to bring Christ as a gift to him this morning? Is it your surrender? Is it your praise? Is it your thanksgiving? Or is it your absolute obedience to his voice? And maybe over 2013, you've seen your life kind of slip a little bit and you've compromised a little bit and you've been desensitized a little bit and you've become a little bit grayer and a little bit more lukewarm in your walk with the Lord. And this morning, as you enter into 2014, you want to get straight with God and say, God, I don't want to compromise. I don't want to be a lukewarm person. I don't want to buy into all this worldview stuff. I really need to get back to Scripture and what God says and to know that absolute truth and to live that truth in my own life and start drawing some convictions and lines in my life. If that's your desire this morning, I'm going to ask you to do something as we close. I'm going to ask you to just, uh, we did this in the first hour and I think God really, really moved and I want to encourage you to do that as Jamie sings this song. I want to ask you to consider three things. Number one, if you are a seeker this morning, that you will recommit yourself to going on that journey for sure, that you will seek Christ in your life, that you will pursue that avenue in your life. 
And if you want to pursue that avenue and by getting up out of your seat and coming down here and kneeling before God, that you're saying, God, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to check this Christ thing out and I'm going to keep knocking and keep sinking. But then there's some of you this morning that it's been a long time since you've really got on your knees before God and said, God, you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. I worship you and I want to be your loyal subject. I want to crown you king this morning. And I want to bring a gift this year to you of a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable as a fragrant aroma to you. I want to smell good, Lord. That's what I want to do. If that's the desire of your life, and God has spoken to you this morning, I'd love to have you just get up out of your seat and come down here and kneel before the Lord. I'll get out of the way. And you just deal with God, just you and God. And bring your offering of worship to him. Father, I thank you this morning for these wise men who were smart enough, number one, to check you out. And God, I pray there's people sitting here yet who have not met you, but are at least smart enough to check you out. And I pray that this morning they would recommit to going on that journey. For those of us, Lord, who know you, who call you the King of Kings, but yet, Lord, we really don't know how to worship you like we need to. And this morning, God, forgive us for those times that we've taken you for granted and treated you almost like a peer. And we forget, God, that you are the King. You are the Messiah. So we commit these next few moments to you, Lord, as we do business just between you and us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.